Welcome to The Fiscal Feminist, a conversation about women, money, and priorities. Hi, this is Kimberly Davis, and I am The Fiscal Feminist. I am also a partner and managing director in the Bonson Group, a wealth management practice with offices in Newport Beach, California, and New York City. Today, I am going to be talking to you about a pretty heavy topic. It's the complexity of financial abuse. It's not as uncommon as we think, and there are different types of it with different levels of severity. It can involve your romantic partner, your parents, your siblings, or your employer. So what exactly is financial abuse? Financial abuse is not as black and white an issue as most of us think it is. In most instances, we think of it in the context of a relationship with a romantic partner, a husband, a boyfriend, whoever our partner happens to be, and often it is exactly that. But financial abuse can also occur in circumstances where parents financially abuse their children, or elderly parents are financially abused by their children, or even employers and bosses preventing an employee from questioning their salary and financial rights in the workplace. Financial abuse is essentially using money as a weapon to exert the ultimate form of manipulation to maintain power and control over another person. It really is pretty much all about control. So what does it look like? You know, it can be very overt and it can be subtle, but it's still exercising control. So what does it look like with a husband, a partner, a boyfriend? Sometimes the financial abuser is the breadwinner and they will withhold their money or hide their money. Other times they are not the breadwinner, but they're more of a financial leech who lives off the fat of the land but still exercises control. Financial abuse is a common tactic used by people who choose to abuse through control and isolation of their partner. Blending financial resources is frequently a tricky endeavor, and it can often result in abuse by one party. Financial abuse can have many different looks, and it's not always such a clear-cut thing. So some of the ways that it can manifest itself include giving an allowance, and closely watching how you spend it or demanding receipts or purchases. Every time you come in with something that you bought, the person cross-examines you as to what it is you bought, how much it cost, did you really need it? But, you know, it's, it's a strident cross-examination. Placing your paycheck in their bank account and denying you access to it. Preventing you from viewing or having access to the bank accounts. Forbidding you to work or limiting the hours that you work so that you remain dependent on this individual, forcing you to miss or leave work early or be late for work, persuading you to have a lesser career so that you make less money than the person that is the abuser, maxing out on credit cards in your name without permission, or not paying the bills on credit cards, which then ruins your credit score, forcing you to file fraudulent legal financial documents, this could include tax returns. If taxes go unpaid, your money could get garnished very quickly by the IRS, even though you're unaware of the situation. Now, there are things that you can do to ameliorate that, but the initial shock of seeing your money taken out of your bank account can be quite shocking. Stealing money, credit, property, or identity from you or your family and friends. Using funds from children's savings accounts without your permission. Living in your home but refusing to work or contribute to the household, making you give them your tax returns or confiscating joint tax returns, 
refusing to give you money to pay for necessities or shared expenses, like food, clothing, transportation, or medical care. Keeping the family in debt, even when the abuser has enough resources to pay the debt, so that you think that there is little money available to live on. So where does all this leave you if you are the victim of financial abuse? Well, often you will have ruined credit scores and a lack of access to financial accounts and inability to open new accounts solely in your name because your credit score is so low. You will now have sporadic employment histories if you have been prevented from working, which make it difficult to reenter the workforce due to large gaps in employment history and outdated skills. You could have legal issues and culpability due to holdings in joint names, fraudulent tax returns, or tax liabilities incurred without your knowledge. Many financial abuse victims continue to endure relationships due to the lack of economic stability, and there are no other viable options due to lack of financial resources. It's a main reason that women often stay in physically abusive relationships as well because they believe that they have no viable means to leave and survive. But it doesn't even have to be as extreme as uh, physical abuse. Often women who do want to extricate themselves from a relationship, whether it be just to leave the relationship or get a divorce, often don't do it for many, many years because they are very overwhelmed with the concept of how to get out of the financial mayhem that they are now in due to the abuse of the partner. So it, it can prevent people from acting freely uh, due to the belief that they don't have any way to get out of it and they don't have any resources. So what can you do to extricate yourself from this situation? Well, build and maintain a safety net throughout your life. Build savings in your name only without the knowledge of the abusive partner. Work on restoring and maintaining your credit. You can take proactive steps to understand your credit score. Then you should freeze your credit accounts so that the credit bureau will issue a fraud alert and or prevent somebody from opening accounts because your credit report is frozen. So they won't be able to open any new accounts in your name. Create a goal on becoming and staying independent and persistently work toward it. You can do this surreptitiously because you don't want the abuser to know that you're trying to organize yourself financially, but you must have a goal to stay independent. So gather as much information as possible. Get copies of legal and financial documents, any statements that you might have with this person or any other types of financial documents like tax returns. Gather all of those up. Get the birth certificates. Get credit card statements. Know everybody's social security numbers and health records. That way you can build up a body of information that can help you to start to extricate yourself from the situation. Retrain and seek employment. Even if it's different from what you were doing when you left the workplace, you may have to make a pivot and do something different so you can get some money coming in and get a regular paycheck. And once you do get a paycheck, do not deposit your paycheck into your partner's account. Try to keep it in your own account. Seek help. Create a network of people who can help you. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Talk to people about your situation and inquire if anyone would be able to help you. If immediate family or friends are not a possibility, reach out to local domestic abuse support groups or other counselors. Remember, you do not have to be suffering physical abuse to reach out to domestic abuse support groups. It can also be financial abuse. 
Most states have assistance programs to help survivors of financial abuse, and you can find resources in the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. You can also talk to a financial advisor. You can get free financial education and advice about dealing with debt, a mortgage, or credit issues from the nonprofit National Foundation for Credit Counseling. An advisor can help you make a step-by-step plan to repair your credit and rebuild your finances. So there are support networks out there. There are people to speak to. And if you just reach out, there will be someone to help you. Don't be afraid to ask for help. What preventative measures can be taken to avoid being a financial abuse victim in the first place? Don't co-sign with a partner who has a history of reckless financial behavior and late payments. Be aware and in control of household debt. Keep an eye on that debt in all statements that come into the house. Do not deposit your paychecks into your partner's sole account. Save your money in accounts in your name only. It doesn't have to be all of your money, but it's okay for you to have one account in your name only with an emergency fund. Regardless of whether one spouse is employed or not, both should be knowledgeable of household finances and investments and savings. It is not okay to just have one partner know all this stuff and the other partner just blindly follow along. Be aware of financial conversations in the household. Keep track of things, have conversations. Don't be afraid to perhaps have an uncomfortable conversation about finances with your partner. Stay employable. Even if you choose to be a stay-at-home partner, always be engaged in a manner that maintains desirable professional skills. For example, you can volunteer in some capacity that uses your professional skills and keeps you in the mix. Do not allow a partner to convince you to take a lesser professional position with less pay than other offered options so as to ascertain that you make less than your partner. Optimize your professional endeavors. You're allowed to make more money than your partner, and maybe that partner may not like it, but you shouldn't lessen your world because someone wants you to do so. Set clear boundaries and do not allow a partner to manipulate you into becoming totally financially dependent on them or allow a partner to become totally financially dependent on you. Either It works either way. The financial abuse and manipulation can work both ways. There are other types of financial abuse, as I mentioned earlier, that don't include partners, domestic partners. It could be that there is parental financial abuse of children. This definitely happens in certain circumstances. Parents know their children's personal information that is needed for many financial products. So they'll know things like their children's name, their address, their social security number, their birth date. Most parents are not financially abusing their children maliciously, but maybe they might have financial difficulties and so they're desperate, so they may decide to take some desperate measures to obtain liquidity, such as opening another credit card or obtaining a loan that involves the child's name. The following are examples of parental financial abuse of a child's finances. And remember, when I say child, it doesn't have to be a small child. It could be an adult child. Open a credit card in the child's name and use it to run up a balance that the parents cannot pay fully. Take a lot of loan with the child's information and default on the loan. Use the child's information to get a mortgage on a home. Co-sign a loan and take out more money than the child needs, then the parents spend the difference. Apply for consumer goods like a cell phone in the child's name. Then the parents don't pay the bill, which goes to collections under the child's name. If you become aware that your parents have used your identity to obtain credit cards or loans, 
pull your credit report, freeze your credit report, have a conversation with your parents and ask them to step up and take responsibility. Take measures to pay off the loan and speak to the lender to see if you can establish a loan payment. Explain the situation. Those are some tips that can help a pretty uncomfortable situation. And then there is the financial abuse of the elderly. Financial abuse among the elderly is growing exponentially and often the perpetrators are family members and caregivers. The National Center on Elder Abuse reports that almost 58% of perpetrators of financial exploitation of older adults are family members, 17% are friends and neighbors, and 15% are home care aides. Often, if family members have substance abuse issues, gambling problems, or financial issues they just can't escape, they will use a senior parent's assets to attempt to solve their problems. The abuser may have power of attorney or durable power of attorney for the senior, or they may have joint bank accounts that they can use at will because their name's on the account with the senior. Often, family members and caregivers will misuse ATM cards, credit cards, and checks. They may simply take money, property, or valuables without asking. They might borrow money with no intention of paying it back, cash or sign pension or social security checks without permission, or create a deed or title transfer to shift money and property to themselves without the elder's consent. Needed care, including medications, durable medical equipment, and more, might be denied to the elder in order to conserve funds for inheritance by children. Indications of senior financial abuse are unpaid bills and notices of eviction, unexplained bank withdrawals or transfers to other accounts, particularly joint accounts with the abuser, other unusual activity in their accounts such as inexplicable care charges or other charges that seem inappropriate. Seniors are a very vulnerable population and the best way to obviate future abuse is for seniors to prepare in advance with directives and powers of attorney appointing a trusted family member, friend, or advisor. If you are aware of a senior being financially abused, speak to an advisor or an attorney to determine the best way forward to rectify the situation. If the abuser, in fact, has power of attorney, then you have to have that power of attorney revoked immediately. So you should definitely consult legal counsel. And lastly, there can be financial abuse in the workplace. It can occur if an employee is constrained from questioning financial arrangements and compensation because a supervisor or boss reacts with anger and threatening behavior when approached with questions. This is a a way of controlling the employee and not letting the employee complain or question certain situations that involve their compensation. In this situation, you should discuss the situation with your human resources department, your boss's superior, or seek legal counsel. It is also prudent to document your conversations with your boss and to set forth his reactions in the conversations so that you do have a paper trail documenting your conversations. These are just some forms of financial abuse that I wanted to highlight. There are many nuances to financial abuse. It may not always be obvious to the outside world, but it does exist even if you can't see it overtly. And it can most definitely prevent the abused party from acting freely and independently, and it can cause mayhem in their lives. Hence, it is imperative that we take responsibility in knowing the financial facts of our lives and keep a watchful eye over financial transactions, affiliations, and relationships. 
always remember, money is power, so don't give up the power. Thank you, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to The Fiscal Feminist, a conversation about women, money, and priorities. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced here and will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake up call for women, to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.